Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Last week, last supper, uh, Passover meal, Jesus is uh, celebrating with his disciples. Uh, he predicts uh, his betray- the betrayal. You know, one of the 12 is going to betray him, and then he institutes this new covenant, this new way of God and people interacting. Nope, nobody understands it at the time, but he's saying the, the basis of that is no longer go- that interaction is no longer going to be what happens in the temple and the sacrificial system. It's going to be based on my sacrifice on the cross. And again, nobody understands that at the time, but it gets unpacked through the rest of the New Testament. And then they leave. Remember, the Passover meal has to be celebrated, has to be eaten in Jerusalem. So they leave Jerusalem. And they're headed to the Mount of Olives, which is right outside. It was a place where Jesus used to spend time with the disciples. And that's where we're going to pick up. Verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So they're they're going from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. Judas is out of the picture at this point. We know he's gone to betray Jesus. They don't, Jesus knows that. The other 11 don't know that at this point. Uh, And in their traveling, Jesus says, all of y'all are going to fall away. That word's important, fall away. It's an important word. Actually, in the New Testament, it's particularly, you see it in the Gospels. It has several different nuances. For our sake, in this passage, it means, it means to, it's a temporary, uh, it would be, a, it's a temporary falling away. It's this, it's this idea of I'm following Jesus and then for a period of time I quit. There are pe- people in their time circumstances we see in the New Testament where that falling away is is permanent. This is not one of them because Jesus says, when I rise again, I'm going to see y'all in Galilee. So he's saying, you guys are going to betray me, but he's already looking ahead to after his resurrection when they're going to be reunited as a group of, of disciples, as a group of followers. So for them, it's a temporary falling away. It's kind of the picture is you're walking, you stumble, and you fall off the road. And that's what happens to these guys. They're, they're stumbling, they're walking, then the, the pressure of the night, they're not ready for it, and they wilt. They, they, they quit following Jesus, but we, again, know all of the story, and we know that they do come back around. Jesus appears to them on Easter and in the days following, and they are restored to relationship with him. Peter, something that we, we, we tend to know about him, he's the spokesman for the group and pretty confident and bold, and he says... I, even if everybody else, which probably doesn't make them feel great, you know, even if the rest of these guys fall away, I'm not going to. And then Jesus very directly says, actually, tonight, three times, you're going to disown me, which is a strong word. You're going to say you don't even know who I am. You're going you're gonna to disavow any relationship, any knowledge of me at all in the next few hours, you know, before the rooster crows. And Peter and everybody else says, no, even if we have to die with you, we're going we're, we're gonna to remain faithful. And I think this is important. I, they believe it. They're not lying. I really do think that put a polygraph on them in that moment, they're going to pass. I don't think that they're blowing smoke. I think in their, genuinely in their hearts, we've been following you for three years. We're not going anywhere. Like, of course not. 
We hadn't left you yet. Why would we leave you tonight? At this point, Jesus and the disciples, their roads diverge. And so we're going to spend two weeks on this. Next week, we're going to follow Jesus. This week, we're going to follow the disciples. So you have two things that are, you kind of cut back and forth. Mark cuts back and forth between these two uh, groups, Jesus and the disciples. The circumstances are happening at the same time. Obviously, we can't see them all at the same time. So there, again, is this back and forth. So we're going to cover the same ground over two weeks, but next week with a focus on Jesus, this week with a focus on the disciples. So they get to the Mount of Olives. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So that's what he says to eight of them. Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, Jesus went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour's come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Again, our focus is going to be on the disciples, not on Jesus at this point. So they get to Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. We know from John it was some kind of a garden, an olive grove. Um, and he says to eight of the guys, you sit here. And then he takes Peter, James, and John, who are his closest companions. And each one of them has recently made a, made a claim. I'm going to stick with you. Peter, we just saw, even if all deny I'm not going to, if I, I'm never going to disown you. Peter and John, just a, a week or so, maybe two weeks before, they're headed into Jerusalem. And they say, hey, when you enter your kingdom, can we, can we have the best seats? One of us on the right, one of us on the left. And he says... Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you suffer with me? And they, also, and they say yes. So these three, they are his closest companions, and each one of them has made a declaration of, of loyalty, has verbally said, we're going to stand with you even if it means suffering. So he takes these three. He's in obvious agony. We'll talk more about that next week. He's in excruciating pain emotionally, and he's, he's wearing it. And he says to them, y'all stay here and, and, and keep watch. He's not talking about keeping watch for Judas or the guys who are going to arrest him. He seems to know uh, that when that's coming. I think he's, he's saying, keep watch. You need to be awake. You need to be alert to what's going on circumstantially. He's just told them, you're, you're all going to fall away. And he said to Peter, you're going to deny me and the, the clock's ticking. And Jesus knows that. Y'all keep watching. He goes to pray. So he comes back, and they're sleeping. He says to Peter specifically, Simon. Now, he hadn't called him Simon in a long time. Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means rock. We know he's not going to be very rock-like tonight. And it doesn't, you wonder, like, does, does, does Peter hear that? And does it maybe make the antenna go up a little bit? Why is he calling me by a different? But it, it doesn't seem to. They're all asleep. Maybe best-case scenario, they've had a big meal there was wine at Passover. It's late. You know, maybe they just, they were really tired. But there's a part of me, not to throw rocks, but you're thinking, this is, this guy, he's, he's the rabbi. He's my rabbi. He's, I love him. I think he's the Messiah. If you can see that agony on him, you, you wonder, 
Like, is that, a, is that enough to stay away? Like, is that enough? He's asking me to keep watch. Is that enough? I mean, think about that when you have a friend who's in a really, really difficult spot. But for whatever reason, it's not. And, and he says to them, this is our kind of important verse for us for the day. Watch and pray or keep watch and pray. Your spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Spirit is willing, that's, you, you want, you, you want to. You want to stand with me. Again, I think they were serious when they said, we're not going to deny you. We're not going to desert you. That's, yes, your spirit is willing to do that. You're eager to stand with me, but your flesh is weak. You don't have the, there's, there's no resolve there. This is, a, this is January for us. I want to lose weight. I want to go to bed earlier. I want to exercise more. By the end of, by February, we're not doing any of that stuff. Our spirit is willing. This is what we want to do, we say. Our flesh is weak. We don't follow through, at least not for very long. This, that, that's kind of a picture. There's a, there's a desire, but there's no, there's no will behind it. And he's saying that to them. And he says, so keep watch and, and pray so you don't fall into temptation. And he leaves and he comes back and they're still sleeping. And he goes away again and comes back and they're still sleeping. And he says, all right, we're done. Now, now's the time. Now's the time. So just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With them was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed Jesus at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Verse 66 while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were also at that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a, after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call curses down. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So Judas leads this group. This is the betrayal. He seems to be betraying the location. This was a place that Jesus normally went. We know that from John 18. This was a normal spot where Jesus and the disciples would go. Judas knows that. Remember, the religious leaders want to arrest Jesus they're intimidated by the crowds. Judas gives them an opportunity to arrest Jesus privately in a way that won't cause a big uproar, that won't cause the Roman army to kind of come down on them. So Judas leads them out, and then he arranges this signal, and nobody knows why he chose this. There's no other place in the Gospels where we, where we see the disciples greeting Jesus with a kiss. Nobody knows why he chose that of all symbols, as, as all signals as a way of identifying 
Jesus instead of just going, that, that's him. But that's what he did. And honestly, he seems to take some joy in what he's doing. The word for kiss, it's an intense word. It's not the normal word for kiss. It's an intensified version of that. Like there's no second guessing. There's no doubt. There's no qualms. There's no hesitation. He seems to be enjoying what he's doing, pointing Jesus out to this group that's going to arrest him. We know from a different gospel that it's Peter who takes out his sword. So there is that initial, hey, we're going to stand with you. And when Jesus shuts it down, says that's not what we're doing, the disciples, I, I don't know that they know what to do. Certainly their world is beginning to crumble. Jesus has told them at least three times that we know that were recorded, this is going to happen to me. But we've said that they didn't get it. They, they weren't able to process that. They weren't fully understanding. And now it's happening. And they're, they're just not ready. They weren't, they weren't ready. They were sleeping. They weren't getting ready. And then under the pressure of this moment, they, they wilt. And then they flee. All of them do. They all run away and they desert. And then there's this weird passage about an unnamed guy who's there and runs away naked. Nobody knows who he is. Best guess, not, not the best guess, most common guess is that it's Mark. He's writing himself into the story. And if so, he's doing so in a, in a way that certainly doesn't make him look good at all. You know, but it's a picture. Everybody left. Not just, it wasn't just these 11 guys. Everybody who was connected to him ran away. It's a picture of complete abandonment. Jesus is all alone in that moment. And then we see him being taken to Caiaphas. That's a high priest's house. Uh, Peter follows at a distance, which again, you have to commend him for that. At least he's, he's, he's attempting to stay close. And so he gets to the courtyard. Jesus is up in one of the upstairs uh, on trial. We'll talk about that next week. Peter's down in the courtyard. There's a fire with the servants from the high priest's house and most likely from some of the people that were part of the arresting group, part of that arresting party. And, you know, a fire doesn't just put out heat. It also puts out light. And in that little bit of light, a servant girl, and there's, there's nobody who's less intimidating, who's less powerful, who's less influential than a servant girl. She's about as low as you can get on the totem pole. And she says to Peter, well, you're, you're, you're one of them. Like you, you were with him. And he says, I wasn't. He denies it. And then he moves off, which is, there's a picture there, isn't it? He's moving away from the fire where the light is and where the crowd is. And he's moving into a, into some kind of a hallway. He doesn't leave, but he does pull back from everyone. And she's persistent, pesky. And she says, you are, I, I know you are. And she gets some of the other guys, probably talking about the guys that went to arrest him. He was with him, right? And then Peter says, no, and the word, the, the tense around that word for denial, and uh, you've probably never lied, but you can picture this. If you know someone who's lied, you can tend to talk too much to sell your story. And that's the tense around that word for denial. It means he, he kept talking, which again, you don't know that personally, but you probably know someone who's done that, where they just keep talking because they're trying to sell the story. And in his talking, they, they hear his accent. He's not from around there. He has a Galilean accent. Jesus is from Galilee, they think. And so they're saying, you've got to be one of his guys. You're from the same area that he's from. And then he begins to swear. I swear to God, I don't know him. May God curse me 
if I'm lying to you, I mean, if you think of the irony, swearing to God that he doesn't know the son of God, I mean, that's what he's doing. And then the rooster crows and he's devastated, breaks down uncontrollably weeping because he realizes what he's just done. Jesus predicted a betrayal, a denial, and then a mass desertion. And within hours, all three of those things happen. He's all alone at this point. We'll follow him next week. For us, this week, we want to try to dissect the failures of the 12. We don't want to throw rocks at them. But we do want to say, what can we learn from them? So first thing we need to do is separate Judas from the other 11. They're not the same. All of them fell away, but they're two different falling. It's different. Judas made a willful, calculated, cold decision to betray Jesus, and he got paid for it. He literally sold Jesus out. He got 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus, for telling people where, his, for leading this group to Jesus's location. And again, the, the picture that we get from Mark, I don't know that it's too strong a word. He seemed to enjoy what he was doing. Again, there's, there doesn't seem to be any, any level of remorse, any level of hesitation, any level of second guessing. He seems to be very comfortable with the decision that he made. With the 11, it's different. They fell away as well, but it's, 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 it, it doesn't look the same. There was, there was in the, kind of the heat of the moment, the, the pressure of Jesus being arrested for Peter, the, the pressure he felt being in this, in Caiaphas's courtyard, Jesus is on trial up here, and having all these guys look at him and say, you're, you're one of them, aren't you? They, just, they wilted under the pressure. That's the only, that's to me is the best picture of that. They absolutely deserted and they're totally responsible for their choice. It's, but the, it, there's a difference there. Judas made a calculated decision without any outside pressure to betray Jesus. He just decided to, whether that was out of greed, out of spite, out of disillusionment, whatever. He independently said, I'm going to do this. These guys actually thought they were okay. They said, and I believe them, and I think Jesus did. He said, your spirit is willing. You're eager to stand with me. Your flesh is weak, and you, you haven't acknowledged that yet. But your spirit is willing. I think when they said, we're not going anywhere, they really believed that they weren't going anywhere. And they didn't know until they were put through the fire that they, weren't, that they didn't have the courage to stand up. That's what I ultimately see this being with the 11 is it's a failure of courage. I don't think they quit loving Jesus. I, I don't. And uh, the fact that they're reconciled to him on Easter, the fact that he goes to them, I think all of that indicates this is, to say it's a blip is, is to, that's to diminish it too much. Again, they're responsible. They abandoned him in his hour of trial. They 100%, and they are responsible for that. I don't, it was not premeditated. They were caught in the crucible of this trial, temptation, test, and they failed in the moment, which is not what happened to Judas. He didn't fail in the moment. He willfully and intentionally made a decision to betray Jesus. He didn't wilt under the pressure. He sold Jesus out for money. And I think there's something there for us. Like, y- y'all aren't Judas's. You wouldn't be in the room. That's not, what, that's not what we're doing. 
we're not intentionally and coldly and calculatingly making a decision. I'm going to betray him. I'm going to walk away from him. Again, if that's where someone is, and most likely they're not, they're not in the room. It's a dangerous spot to be for sure. But usually if, if someone's that far down the road, again, they're not showing up on a Sunday. If that is you, then come talk to me when we're done. But for many of us, we're like the 11. We, we haven't kept watch and we haven't prayed. And so then we're caught out when some circumstance in our life kind of crushes us, sneaks up on us, comes out of the blue. We're not ready. We're not ready, which is what happened to them. The three hours that Jesus spends getting ready, praying, they spend sleeping. And so they're not ready. He, and there's a couple of things there, like keep watch. They didn't keep watch. They weren't awake. They weren't aware. They weren't alert. They overestimated their own courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of obedience with, when, when there is fear. It's a, it's a willingness to say, yes, I'm scared, but fear is not the boss of me. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do the right thing, even though I'm scared. They overestimated, I think it was their courage that they overestimated. I don't think they overestimated how much they loved Jesus, I think. They, they just, they didn't know. They thought their legs were stronger than they were. They, they, for whatever reason, and we do this too, they didn't hear him when he said, tonight, for, like we, we're looking at that and going, Peter, it's just a few hours. Like there's a part of us that wants to say, just stay asleep and you won't deny, just stay asleep. They, don't, they can't hear him for whatever reason. They don't get the urgency of the situation. They don't get the precariousness of their position. They don't get the danger that they're in. I mean, he is in agony. They've never seen him like this. But it's not, it's not computing for them. It's not, they're not getting that this is real. Maybe because he's told them multiple times this is going to happen. Maybe because they've heard it several times. They're just thinking, well, it's just him again. He's just telling us again. But I, we don't know. Why, why would we think tonight? This is Passover week. It's a festival. Like, why would any, I don't know. But for whatever reason, they're not, maybe it's because they're overconfident, but they're not hearing the danger that they're in. So there, there is no keeping watch for them. They're overconfident in themselves and they're underestimating their situation. They don't hear the urgency in Jesus' voice when he says to them, watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. They don't, again, it's not, it's not computing for them. And then, and then we know they weren't praying, they were sleeping. It's not to say they'd never prayed, but in that moment, when they were in the, the crisis was coming, they were not preparing themselves. They were not strengthening their resolve. They weren't saying, Father, you got to help me. They weren't saying, I need you to strengthen me. I need you to give me grace to stand firm. Jesus says there's a temptation coming, and I don't want to fail in that moment. That word temptation can also mean test. We've talked about that before. It's the same word. It can also mean trial. That's what's coming at them, a test, a trial, a which becomes for them a temptation to run away. And they all wilt. 
they fail in the moment. 0 for 12, every one of them. They all fail. They weren't ready. They hadn't prepared themselves. Again, there's this part of them that said, we're with you to the end, and they really believed it. But there was nothing to back it up. There was nothing to back it up. And that can be us at times as well. Nobody in here is Judas. We can easily be one of those 11. Even Peter denying, like we, we can fall into that category as well. The desertion category is super easy for us to fall into. So there's a couple of things for us as we kind of wrap. This is too big. It, it's too, let me think how to say this. It's too personal. So I can't give all of the specifics. It's, it's personal to you. And so I'm just going to encourage you to think about this and pray and talk to your people that love you and love the Lord. But just kind of the broad principles, we want to keep watch. We talked about that a few weeks ago in Mark 13. We want to be aware. We want to be alert. We want to be awake spiritually. We need to know personally the areas where we're weak and vulnerable. Like we need to know that. And they're, they're not the same for all of us. There's some universals, but many of the places where we're vulnerable are specific to us. There are weaknesses that we have that the enemy can exploit. I think about that picture of a, of a rock climbing wall. James 1.14 talks about sin and says, we sin when our own evil, when we're, our, our, evil, our evil desires are enticed and we're dragged away. And then we sin, and when sin is full full blown, it gives birth to death. What what we want to do, I think, we can't stop temptation. Like it's coming. A temptation is external. It's nothing in here. It's something that comes at us, and it's going to keep coming at you until you're dead. So we're all going to be tempted, and we're all going to be tempted every day. The thing that we can be responsible for is how many handholds are there in my heart for for temptation to grab onto. We can do something about it. I can't do anything about the temptation. That's coming. I can try to be wise to some degree, but the enemy's crafty. What I can do is say, I, don't want, there to, I want there to be as few handholds in my heart as possible. I don't, want any, I don't want there to be anything that temptation can grab onto for me. We can, be, we, we can do that. Are you aware of the handholds in your own heart? Do you know them? They're not the same as mine, most likely. Do you know the areas where you're vulnerable to temptation and sin? If you don't, you need to ask the Lord. He'll, he'll tell you. You could probably just look at your track record and see. Where are the areas where you tend to fall down? What are the things that, seem to, that, that, that tend to trip you up? If, if you're confronted by somebody, what are they confronting you over? I'm not just talking about behaviors. I'm talking about character. Do you know? We all have them. We want to remove the handholds. Are, are you keeping, are you awake? Are you alert? Are you aware to your particular circumstances, the times and the places? The disciples, they missed it. Jesus said that this is it. And they didn't know it was it. And so they slept. If we know, hey, I'm about to, encounter some very uh, difficulty, most of us, we, we kind of get on it. We prepare ourselves. But how many of us live unaware of our circumstances, the times that we live in? We're all living in the end. It's been the end since Easter, the first one. 
So for 2,000 years, we're living in the end. And here are two things Jesus said will happen in the end. Deception will increase and difficulty will increase. Are you aware of that? You're living in a time and you will continue to live in a time until you die or Jesus returns of increasing deception and increasing difficulty for God's people. That's not pessimistic. That's Jesus saying, recognize where you're living and prepare yourself accordingly. We talked about this before, knowing the truth, capital T. That is knowing Jesus personally. That is the best, best protection against being led astray. There's a thousand lies. You only have to believe one of them. Know the truth. The times that we live in. The places, and this is very particular. There's some that we maybe would say the same. Those of us who live around here. We live in an affluent area. Are we aware of the temptations that come with living in an affluent area? The temptation to, to covet what we don't have. The temptation to look at our boundary lines and say, they're not pleasant. I want his. The temptation to ask God for more than our daily bread. Are we aware of that? Are we aware of the fact that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and the ways that can insert itself into our heart? Specifically, some of you work in a place where winning at all costs is prized. That, you need to know that about your workplace and what that's going to do to you the particular temptations that are going to be there because of the place that you work, because of the family that you live in, because of the friends that you hang out with. It's just, it's knowing that. I'm not saying change anything. God may lead you to do that. But it's being aware in this particular place, these are the temptations that are specific to me. If you take something like, like drinking, that's an easy one to poke at. It's just a behavior. For some of you, the worst thing you can do is go to a bar. You're, you can't handle it. You just need to know that about it. So don't go. It's not going to be different than it was last time. Just don't go. But for some of you, it's that same thing. You don't need to be alone when you're depressed because that's what you're, you're going to drink to make yourself feel like knowing those things about yourself. So you, the situations that you're in, that's an easy one to pick on because it's a behavior. There are other things that are deeper. Do we know the circumstances that we're in? The places where we're vulnerable and weak. We want to keep watch, be alert, be aware. This is not to scare anyone. It's just, a, it's just the reality of knowing. Put yourself in the position of those 11 disciples. Jesus is saying to us, keep watch. Keep watch. You don't have to be scared. You just need to be aware. And then pray. I, I didn't have enough time to run this down. Some of you that have a Catholic background would be, this, this will be you. You can help us with this. Sloth, one of the seven deadly sins. When we think of sloth, we think of someone, we think of like a teenager, right? <laughs> Laying on the couch, not doing a thing. This is spiritually. And it's not just laziness. It's actually, there's an, there's an apathy or a, a lethargy behind it. There's lack of spiritual hunger. It's the flesh is weak part. It's this lack of motivation to seek the Lord, this lack of spiritual hunger to pursue him. And you can be super busy and still be spiritually slothful. Sometimes it's our busyness that diverts us and distracts us from seeking him. It's all about the, your hunger for him. Super easy for that to not be uh, for that not to, to drive us, that hunger and desire to be with him. 
easy for those things to ebb in the world that we live in. This idea of prayer. Again, if you knew, hey, maybe not. Peter didn't. And we're not better than him. He knew within the next few hours, this is going to be the temptation. And he still didn't prepare himself. So maybe I'm giving us too much credit. If Jesus said, hey, you know, by, by, by lunchtime, you're going to have a, there's going to be a, there's going to be a fork in the road for you. I, I think that we would prepare ourselves, but maybe we wouldn't again. We're not better than Peter. But I'm not necessarily talking about that, this preparing for that crisis moment. I'm talking about John 15, ongoing abiding, ongoing remaining, developing and maintaining this relationship with Jesus that's there to draw on. So when the unexpected comes, when the difficulty hits, when you get the phone call, when you're faced with the decision, there's actually something to draw on. Your spirit is willing 100%. This is strengthening the flesh, if I can say it. That doesn't sound like something you say in church. That's what, I'm, that's what we're talking about, that, that resolve moving out of that place of spiritual sloth where there's just a, an apathy towards the things of the Lord. Like that, that catches up to us. There's a reason they named it one of the seven deadly sins. Whatever you think about that, they weren't wrong to say this, this sin, it leads to all kinds of other ones because we're not, we're not preparing ourselves for the world that we live in. We're not preparing ourselves for the enemy that we face. We're not preparing ourselves for the the trials and the tests and the temptations that are going to come just because we live in a fallen world and we have an enemy. Hunger and thirst. I think about that psalm as the, it was an old song when I was growing up. They sing, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. I couldn't sing it. I was like, "That that isn't true. That's not true for me. It hasn't been true for me for long parts of my life. Where I could say, as much as a deer needs water and desires water, that's how much I need the Lord. And for many of us, that's not, that's not reality. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere? Like, oh, I don't know. Sounds kind of boring. Singing all the time? Like, is that what we're doing? What does it look like for us to cultivate a hunger and a thirst for him? That those things, those psalms are true of us. It's nothing you have to work up on your own. It's developing and maintaining relationship over time and actually asking him, God, stir up a hunger in me. It's one of the things that we pray on Sunday mornings before we gather. God, I pray that the people who come here, that you would draw hungry people here. And those of us who are here who aren't hungry, you'd stir a hunger within us for you. We don't have to work that up. We can ask him to do that. All right, we need to pray. Bo, you can come back. Ministry teams, you can. This is simple for me. Uh, to you today is just if, if you want a deeper level of hunger, I want you to just go ahead and, and come forward. You can kneel, you can stand, you can get prayer. Just that outward expression of an inward desire. I don't want to be a spiritual sloth. If you want a more repelling word, I don't want to be a spiritual slug. Would you stir a hunger? Pray this if you want. Stir a hunger in me for you. I want to seek you and your kingdom first. I want to be able to say with integrity, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. I want my desire to be that 
to, to say yes, better is one day with you than a thousand elsewhere. That my highest and my best is to be with you. God, I pray for those who right now are in the midst, who are facing a trial or a trouble or a temptation. We pray that you would strengthen them and see them through. God, I pray for all of us that we would keep watch, that we'd be aware of the places where we're vulnerable. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Show us the weaknesses in our own hearts. Would you show us the places where we're going, where temptation is gonna be greater, where the difficulty may be more intense? Would you prepare us for that? And above and beneath and through it all, I pray that we would pray, not just an act of saying words to you, but an ongoing communion with you. Increase our hunger, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 